This is Global Tennessee, news analysis and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, nonprofit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants. Welcome to Global National with Carl Dean. I'm Patrick Ryan, President of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Uh, we're proud to uh, bring you uh, a conversation of uh, uh, community events and uh, business development in, in Nashville uh, and all the things. Uh, tonight, uh, we're uh, pleased to welcome Sean Henry from the Nashville Predators, where he's president and CEO of that organization, uh, to talk with Carl D. Uh, just a reminder that uh, for people who are interested in sponsoring the Global Now with Carl Dean uh, series of webinars and podcasts, uh, just drop us a line at pat at tnwac.org or just check the tnwac.org website. And with that, I'll uh, toss it over to you, uh, Mayor Dean. Let's uh, get underway. Great. Well, Sean, welcome. It's good to see you. Sean, you're on mute there. It works really well when I'm muted. People have been trying to mute me for years, and I just did it to myself. But now, thanks for having me. It's uh, exciting for me. Well, I have a lot of questions for you, and a lot of them have to do with sort of current events. But one thing that's been on my, my mind, um, I know you and I don't share the same baseball loyalties. But how are you doing with uh, there not being a baseball season and uh, your team projected to have done very well if there was one. Well, by the God, I'm a Yankee fan. You chose to be a Red Sox fan, sadly for you, uh, though your recent year has been pretty good. But, you know, I'm a lot like you. You know, sports has always been a central figure in my life. You know, growing up, it's what we did as a family, watched it and played and did everything. And it's so bizarre without that in the background in every day, whether it be baseball, football, obviously hockey, basketball, it, it really is weird without it. The silver lining is we're doing a few other things together as a family, but I won't lie, you know, waking up in the morning still is not as much fun without dissecting a box score or seeing, you know, whatever it may have been. So we miss it in a, in a big, big way. And especially since it was going to be an exciting season in the Bronx, at least, not so much up in your So you guys don't even have a manager, do you? You didn't get suspended for cheating? <laughs> Uh, he had some problems, but we we have uh, we have a manager now. And, but I think the I think the Yankees prospects were a lot better than the Red Sox at this point. But it's it's great yeah, seeing. I wanted to start off by asking you maybe to tell the audience about your background. I I remember very well. I think you came to Nashville in August of ten, um, twenty ten and uh, have done a tremendous job. But tell us where you're from and what you did before you got to Nashville. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it was a really good memory. It was almost 10 years ago to the day now. Uh, you know, it's funny, I interviewed right after the floods happened. And in a very odd way, it's what really made me want this job more than anything, because you got to see how the city was picking up after each other, neighbor with neighbors and the leadership you had, it was incredible. But I was in Tampa before I came here. I was there about 10 or 12 years and um, worked for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And similar situation to here when I got there, a little bit worse. But I was part of a sports empire. We owned the Pistons, a bunch of minor league teams, amphitheaters, and we bought the Lightning in 99. And we were the worst team in all sports. 
without comparison. And we took that title from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then Tampa Bay Rays took it from us. So it was really a city without any great glorious moments in sports. And um, I was there about 10 years, did some really fun things there. Inside of three or four years, we led the league in attendance, won a Stanley Cup a year after the Bucs won the Super Bowl. And I just love that period of time for the city because the Bucs got really good. We got really good. The Rays followed a few years later. And it's, sports can do incredible things for a city. Uh, before that, I was in St. Louis. I used to work for a company that managed sports uh, venues, uh, food and beverage side of it, sold sponsorship suites. The Rams were one of our clients. We moved them from L.A. to St. Louis. Before that, I was in Detroit working for the Pistons. Um, and then I came back. I was there in 1995. So I got there the day after they won the second championship. I was there for the glorious Michael Jordan defeating us. And I went a long time before. I was in 1995. I was in St. Louis, 95 to 99. Pistons bought the Lightning in 99 and asked me to run the business operations. We were there a little over 10 years. I worked for the very best owner in sport thought at the time. Uh, we won an NBA championship and a Stanley Cup championship a week apart from each other. We also won the AFL championship that year in the WNBA. He was a really incredible guy because he let you do your job. He let you make mistakes. He encouraged it. His only thing was do what's right for the community, do what's right for development of employees, and will never fault us. And he really was right. And uh, right before he passed away, he gave some really good advice to me. He said, always work for someone you want to work for. Work for someone you want to be around. And I thought, great, you know, this guy's just passed away. I'm never going to find another person like that. But I got invited to interview for the Nashville Predator job. And I never thought I was going to leave Tampa. I loved life. I was consulting after we sold the team for his widow. And consulting is maybe the worst thing in the world to do, part of anything, except you got a lot of freedom. You wear a bathing suit, T-shirt every day, coach all your kids' sports, you make about the same money. You just miss being a part of something. But life was okay. And the reason I just jumped into this after I met Herb Fritch and Tom Seagram, and it rang in my ears what Mr. Davidson, our former owner, said, work for really good people. I want to do tremendous things. I will allow you to you know, run the business. And Tom and Herb, you know, Stanford, as much as I loved working there for 10 or 12 years and, again, creating something so special out of nothing, the past 10 years have been absolutely incredible. What we had a chance to do, a lot of it because of your faith and what we're trying to do, it's just been, it's been incredible. I mean, we have become we're the envy of sports and what we created. One of the main reasons was the public-private partnership forged because of you. So thank you. Well, thank you. And you've, you all have done such a tremendous job. And, uh, you know, there are so many highlights, whether it's the stuff, whether it's the All-Star game. Uh, to me, the biggest thing you accomplished was Nashville's become a hockey city. I mean, you go yeah. to the games now, and there are knowledgeable fans, and there are, you know, Pat's one of them. Pat Ryan's a huge fan, and and they and they and they're devoted to the team. Well, let me ask you: How are you and the Predators' time period? What's going on at Bridgestone Arena? Well, for us, our philosophy going back to day one with the team has always been make sure we engage with the community. If we're not doing that, who cares how many games we're going to lose? And uh, so when the we woke up to the tornadoes that awful Tuesday morning, we did the thing that's natural for us. We used our games. We used our, our star power of our players, the passion our fans have for the logo, to raise awareness, raise some money, to try to get out in the community and help the media. That's easy. That's natural for us. But when we were sitting there with that SEC talking to Commissioner Sankey from the SEC, 
same time talking to Commissioner Bettman about what are we going to do with our season, what are we going to do with SEC basketball tournament, we realized we have a prospect of not having those great events in front of us to help people the way we would like to do. And we took a pause on the season, postponed most of our events, canceled the SEC basketball tournament. And we got together as a group, you know, all of our employees, about the full-time employees, with full endorsement of Herb Rich, our chairman. And we set a goal to come out of this stronger as an organization and into it by reaching out to each other, by building better communication and deepening our ties to our, our partner community, our season ticket holders and each other, not even realizing how hard that could be by not being in the office and trying to distance off or do, right? I'm one of those guys that you have to be in the office, you have to be there together, you have to have impromptu meetings, real meetings, live meetings. Everything we do is live. Uh, but what our staff has done, transition to the home, obviously do a lot of Zoom calls every day, but we are, we've made more phone calls to our partners and season ticket holders than I, I really thought was possible. And, and we're bringing to life what we thought we would do, and that's strengthening bonds, challenging people to take this time to step away from their job, to challenge how they do their normal job, come up with new ways of doing it. Um, the things that we don't have time to do on a normal basis, and all while doing that, let's connect with the community a little bit better and deeper. We change focus instead of using our games as ways to raise money through social media and our players' passions. And we were pretty proud. Just last week, we, we announced we pledged almost three million dollars to help those uh, suffering from the tornado and, and then being devastated by the COVID break. So it's uh, it's a really humbling thing to be a part of in a city that's doing even more than you know, we're doing. What are the prospects of um, being continued or finished? Well, one, I thought we were replacing the wine tournament with tonight. So I brought my glass of wine. I hope you have one too. Um, fire about Gary Bettman and I keep saying you as well, two commissioners that they put the safety of their players, member schools, member teams, and fans first. And, you know, we took that pause. We canceled the SEC tournament. And ever since then, I think it was March 12th or 13th, so a month and a half now, we worked every day to figure out what can we play again. Can we resume the 1920 season? You know, finish. We have 13 games left. A few teams have 14. Some have 11. Can we finish that? And can we play a, a playoff series? And what does that mean? What does it look like? And it's, it's frustrating and exciting all at the same time. Because every day, we're on four or five hours of these calls playing out every scenario in the world. You know, can we play in front of fans? Can we play in front of empty buildings? Do you play in eight buildings across the country or four or two or one? And that's what we're working on. And there's no doubt we'll play hockey again. It's not a matter of if. It's really a matter of when. And can we bring something together to resume the 1920 season and then have some type of a normal playoff race? Do you go right to the playoffs? What does that mean for next year? But every day we work on it. But the key is we won't play until it's safe for us to play. And as important as we think we are, like all of us, and we know what we can do for a community by playing again and unifying our bigger things at play before we answer our question. So when you look at the phases of coming back, whether that starts May 1st or May 10th, whether they're 14 days, segments or contracts, we'll find our place in there, but not until it's safe and find those right cities to play in. Uh, is, are there any discussions about 
well, let's say we move forward a year, what's the new normal going to be look like after things open up? I mean, are there going to be, do you think there'll be changes in sports? Yeah, I do. I think there'll be changes in all mass gatherings, you know, um, and I'll go the negative side and then the positive because change sometimes is negative. But there's no doubt when we do start hosting events with people in the building, there are certain things that will change. You know, how do we enter the building? What can in, you know, you don't want people touching different things. Uh, what does it mean to queue up a line at a concession stand or bathrooms or the mass gathering in front of the players, high-fiving them, going onto the ice or autographs at practice? All those things will be tweaked. But we look at it as, like we said, we have to give people confidence that when they come into their building, they're going to be as safe as they can be, you know, being with 17,000 other people. And that means we have to clean a little bit differently. We have to allow people to administer things for themselves, maybe more hand-washing stations, more sanitizing stations, making it a little bit easier to do the things that we're all doing all the time right now. Uh, I don't know if we know the full extent of what it means and what the changes will be, um, but I do think if we play in front of empty stands for a period of time, it'll allow us to play with the broadcast differently, try some different things, to take the game a little bit more closer to the viewers at home, and that's only going to be positive, I think. So there are probably going to be a few things that we'll try and change. As you know, we're kind of proud of the things that we fail at, as long as we're always moving forward. But uh, David Kells, who is responsible for booking our building, those guys have pulled together all the venues in our state and have worked with the State Board of Health and the local Board of Health to say, this is what we're thinking. Let's all look at this together the same customers let's all approach each problem and challenge together and this way we can pick up after each other and the guy that really helped bring that together was ian Ayers with mls team who's a pretty good friend and partner so it was really the soccer team and us and then we branched out and brought everyone else in from ut to the memphis grizzlies to, to all the other colleges and i think by that collective power we'll take that burden off of the city or state to say this is what we think is the right way to go what do you think so I don't have an exact roadmap yet, but we're working on it every single day. And it's funny, I call it a roadmap, because the first thing we're working on is how can we get our players back on the ice to train in the safest possible fashion? And I always say we steal ideas from places. What the Opry's doing right now with their broadcast is really a nice map how to isolate and still bring the things we all love to people. Yeah. Well, you mentioned booking and, and the other things that occur at the arena. It's not, you know, the predators are there and you're the, you're the anchor. But, I mean, one of the things I, I don't know that everybody in Nashville realizes is that Bridgestone Arena, uh, really under the management of the predators, has become many years the top venue in the nation and at least once to maybe venues in the world. Um, and it's an extraordinarily, uh, extraordinary economic engine for the city and a, and a huge part of the success of downtown. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to see downtown without people. Uh, and, and you all deserve to be complimented for this, I think, this extraordinary job you've done of, of filling up that building night after night and, and bringing people into the city. It's been, it's been a tremendous thing. Well, I appreciate that. I don't want to mutual admiration society, but if you remember, there was a mayor that got elected about 13 years ago 
that basically said, we're not using the arena enough. Why? Why are we not doing a few more shows? And you changed the format of how the team could be rewarded, how we can generate more dollars to go back into the building and put incentives out there to make it the building that it is today. And I'm just fortunate that got there at the right time to really take advantage of that. Right, it's fun to be one of the busiest ones in the world, year in, year out, in a city that is a little smaller than uh, New York City. I was laughing about Madison Square Garden's business plan is they're smart enough to play an event three miles from 13 million people, where for us to get to 13 million people, you have to drive a few hours, um, but it just shows what Nashville is. It's such a passionate city. People love live events and they turn out, we have the, we have the busiest theater, we have one of the most unique amphitheaters. Of course, what we do is that, you know, the, the stadium, people don't talk about it, but it's one of the busier football stadiums in the country for concerts as well. It's fun to operate in Nashville. Yeah, yeah. So, well, well so the tenants are good, but you guys had to execute and you, and you did it, which is tremendous. Yeah. Well, well, let me ask you, been easy. we're the World Affairs Council. And, um, you know, when I started thinking about international connections and, and how Nashville is a global city. You know, one of the things that comes to mind, of course, is the Predators. You play a fair number of games in another country. Uh, you have players from around the world. Um, how, does that, how does that work? I mean, number one, let's just talk about the ties between um, Nashville and Canada and, and how the league handles that and what that means for Nashville. Yeah, so from a business standpoint for Nashville, every game we have becomes a national commercial for Nashville because, you know, our game, we do ratings all throughout Europe in the Far East, obviously all over Canada. Uh, when we play a Canadian team, there'll be more people watching in, a, in Calgary when we're playing the Canadians than there are even in Nashville. So really an opportunity to broadcast who we are, what we are. But it also means we have to work very closely from an immigration standpoint with Canada, um, all of our junior hockeys are tied together. USA Hockey and, and uh, Canada Hockey are really one entity separated by some rules. We work together on, on a lot of things. And then we also operate with a, another understanding with the IIHF, which is International Ice Hockey Federation with Europe. So it's a very similar thing. So we try to make sure we don't steal players from each other. We try to make sure that the game is played the same way, officiated the same way. Uh, age levels are, are, are similar. Um, but the reason we did that as a league years and years, decades ago was somewhat selfish to make sure that the best talent in the world would come to us. But the byproduct has been building these really cool networks between us and Canada and then us in a lot of different European cities. And once you have a star like a Roman Yossi from Bern, Switzerland, all of a sudden the Preds are the number one team in Bern. You know, so it's really unique how that you know, ebbs and flows. You know, you, the number one watch team in Finland is our team because of Pecorine and now UC Saros, um, which is unique. You know, any given game will have probably 500, 300 to 500 fans that are our fans that are from all points around the globe. So it really is nice in that regard. It's nice to throw the commercial. But from a team standpoint, it's also nice to have your locker room as a mini melting pot, you know, from so many different cultures, different worlds. And it's amazing that orders may separate the guys, language may separate the guys, but in the end, the game unifies them and you see the best of our, our, our globe really come together. How have, um, what's been your experience with players who've come from 
Russia, Finland, Switzerland, all over Europe. How have they adjusted to Nashville and how have they been received here? Well, Nashville's unique. You know, most markets are pretty welcoming to most players. You know, both from the North, they're not always as kind to their players until they prove something. But Nashville's a pretty welcoming city. I think everyone's welcome in Nashville until you prove otherwise. So right away, our players feel comfortable. And we're also fortunate that our minor league team, the Admirals, is in Milwaukee, another really good city. And our players get a taste of America in a decent-sized city before, before they come to Nashville. So I think that's a real benefit. Um, but if you don't like Nashville, there's something wrong with you. But it's funny how many players will play here for a year or two years or three years and then never leave. And that's, you know, from around the globe. But uh, you probably remember Alexander Radulov came here as a young man who's 19 years old and just fell in love with the United States. He, he played junior hockey in Ontario. So he came over when he was 16 or 17 years old. But when he came to Nashville, this became home. And as much as all the problems that we have with him going back to Russia and back and forth and our fans love and hate him. But it's funny, his parents considered this home. And even when he was playing in Russia, I didn't know who the guy was. He always sat in front of me on my son's youth hockey game. I said, you have a son out there? So now my son plays in Russia. I said, well, who is he? And real broken English. And it was Radulov's father. I mean, people love Nashville and they don't want to leave. Look at our announcing team right now, our, our newer additions with Hal Gill and Chris Mason. Chris Mason played here in two different stints for three or four years. Hal Gill played here for one year, went off and played, you know, somewhere else, and then came back with his family. Uh, J.P. Dumont, uh, Cody Hodgson played 50 games here. You know, he's from Toronto or Tor Toronto area, but he's here and he works you know, in youth hockey right now. Mike Fisher chose to stay here. Ryan Smith, who never even played for us, you know, he's Captain Canada, played for Edmonton for all those years. He fell in love with Nashville just as a big player. And he moved his family down here two years ago. So people absolutely love the city because, as we all know, you have all the benefits of a, of a good-sized city, all the wonderful amenities, extreme affordability, great schools, good values. You can drive out 15, 20 miles and feel as if you're in a rural community or then invade in for all the excitement that we offer down there. So long, 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 absolutely love it. The only problem is all their family wants to move here, just like all of us. And they move. Yeah. Well, you've had so many highlights. I mean, you know, the Stanley Cup, the All-Star Game, the uh, just the success of the franchise. What, what do you look back on and see as sort of the, the top accomplishments of the Predators in the last 10 years? There are probably three for me. One, I tell everyone is the best example of you tricking me into something. And it was the best thing that England, and that was opening the Ford Ice Center in Antioch, um, part of Nashville. We were working closely with yourself and um, Greg Hynote and Rich Friedling built an ice rink in an empty mall. Well, we assumed that was Bellevue. We were gonna build it in Bellevue, we're building it in Bellevue, building it in Bellevue. And as anyone that's ever been around me knows, or Jeff Kogan, if you give us a chance, we'll just talk and talk and talk and talk and tell you how great things are going to be. And I don't know if you remember this part. We were supposed to meet at that empty mall, and we were in Bellevue. And Rich Reveling called and said, where are you guys? I said, well, where are you? We're over by the Sears. He said, well, you're supposed to be by the Pennies, and we're in Antioch. I said, oh, no, we're not building in Antioch. That's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> it's not happening. It's not happening. And you probably don't remember after all the you know, deals that you did. 
But you said if you guys can do what you said you could do in Antioch, you'd have no problem building a second one. And then soon cities are banging on your door to build a third, fourth, fifth, sixth ice center. And uh, reluctantly, you know, we did it. And it was probably the best thing that we've done as a franchise and the thing I'm most proud about. And I hope you are too, because what we built in Antioch is incredible. It was really that first domino to start changing how people saw Antioch again. And you see all the investment that's happening around at Bridgestone's our neighbor now. Smile Direct is out there now. Um, just really great things are happening. And then it made it really easy to build a second one in Bellevue. And now we have communities knocking our doors, Bill. Um, some other real positive things are happening. But within 10 years, I bet we have five more rinks because of what you tricked us into. And Annie, probably the best thing we've ever done. You know, we were so concerned about making a statement in Antioch that, you know, we supported because it was underserved and I thought they needed yeah. more resources there, but the mall needed attention. And I remember the opening and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that here we are, we're opening a, you know, a major league facility that's going to be used by the Predators. And Scott Hamilton, an Olympian, is going to be teaching figure skating right. and skating out there. And he was there and you all were there. And it was, uh, the city had moved a long way from when the Predators first started playing in Nashville. And nope. it was a huge success. It, it really was. And that day, and it's always so hot when we do a groundbreaking, it seems like, except for the bridge building itself. Which yeah. is but I remember, honestly, just sitting back and, and you know, my oldest is 24 years old. My youngest is 13. And all four play hockey. For my oldest two boys, everywhere we went in America, for travel hockey, wherever it may be, every kid on the ice, every kid in the stands, every parent in the stands, looked exactly like my kids or me. Because of what we did from a geographic point in Antioch, you literally are seeing the face of hockey change in our community faster than any other community. So it's, it really is. It, I'm getting chills even talking about it. It's the best thing we have done. I was going to say the Stanley Cup, or really the All-Star Game was really the coming out party to show the rest of the world what we became. But it really started with that hot opening day when we cut that ribbon. And like you said, Scott Hamilton is teaching kids how to skate. I mean, that's like Ty Cobb giving you a batting lesson. It's just, it's really wonderful. And Scott Hamilton's a nicer man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a much nicer man. <laughs> uh, so when you look, look into the future, 10 years, um, Bridgestone, the Predators, Nashville. Well, again, you push the domino for this to happen by giving us a runway to be a little successful and start investing more and more into the team. But that's last summer when we, towards, um, you know, in 20 years, I think this is our third. And then this time we did it again to, you know, finish it, but extend it 20 years past uh, the initial. So for us, uh, 10 years from now, we're going to be sitting in Bridgestone Arena, not looking at a building with a bunch of problems, talking about we need a new building, it can't do this, it can't do this. But in 10 years, we're going to be sitting in a 30-year-old building, talking about it being being one of the most special and 20 years later being one of the most modern buildings in a meritable entertainment business living district um i don't know if you saw this when you did what you did in 2007 and 8 but it really is pretty incredible to be thinking that other buildings get knocked down when they're 20 years old or they start talking about they need billions of renovations or they, they can't hold or whatever it may be well 
for us, people are going to talk about where their grandparents met and they're sitting there, just like you do with Madison Square, Fenway, Wrigley, Soldier Field. That's what you want. There's no reason for buildings to be this old. And uh, I'm excited about what we're going to be from a massive renovation standpoint. What we're experiencing right now with COVID 19, this was going to be a reactive summer renovation a little bit now. Um, but the real goal is when that building was built, it was built in a very protective manner, right? Walls seg segregated itself from Broadway. With what that whole area has become, you need to rip those walls out. And we don't want anyone to know where Broadway and Center Ice ends and Sixth Avenue. We really want to make that building. Well, and that shows, I, you know, to uh, Mayor Bredesen, when he built that building, um, there wasn't a hockey team. There wasn't a bad SEC tournaments on the pike. Can happen. Um, Not too many. And that was. So, no, that was a bet on the city. That was that was a, it was the right bet. Well, Sean, I I want to thank you for coming on, and I want to thank you for all of you, the predators, and have done for the city. And I, I wish you the best. And, um, and I hope the Red Sox beat the Yankees at some point this. <laughs> Well, I just hope they play it. So really, I just want to say thank you, Carl. You've been a friend of the franchise, a friend of mine, a mentor. You've given us direction. And we're not having a conversation. If you didn't have the spirit and the view that you did, well, people at the time, and then once again, through the flood and the recovery of it. And uh, what you've done franchise is incredible. And, and that I think we're starting to pay it back right now. So thank you for everything you've done for us. Sean, if I, really, really if I could it. just get uh, one postscript uh, question in. Um, the, the Preds are scheduled or were scheduled for opening in Prague in the uh, Czech Republic. Still up in the air. But what's the future for the NHL in Europe? Well, yeah, so wherever we're from. We're going to do an exhibition game there, you know, train for two days there, and then go to Prague, open against Boston. And uh, right now, we're not really focused on next season. We're looking at this season. But if something were to happen to those dates, then we'd look at probably rescheduling it. Because the prospect of being the showcase team in that international series is, is pretty neat. But then to take your captain back to his hometown, it's spectacular. The whole locker room rallies around that. And we've been the featured team now from the All-Star Game. Obviously, we've created the Stanley Cup on our own, playing the Winter Classic, something in Europe. The next question is, when do we do an outdoor game? That'll be really the year we're basically being featured in the league. And it's just a really nice testament to Well, hopefully things will get back on track. Yeah. Some of us who love the Preds and love to travel and uh, on behalf of the world affairs council thank you for taking time to be on the webinar tonight hopefully you know somebody who can connect us uh, maybe to a couple of european players who might want to uh, come on the show right now they don't have a whole lot to do except try to get in shape in their garage so well, be on. maybe spare uh, a half hour with carl on a tuesday well, guys thank you so much I thanks really uh, thanks again we've been talking with John Henry, President and CEO of the National Predators, and this is the Global National Carl Dean uh, broadcast of
the ten. You can get more information about the World Council at tt.org. That's it for tonight. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a good evening. Thank you, guys.